Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, this is Jeremy. And as we release the final part of the first Unwanted Places story, we hope you've enjoyed it. If you would like to listen to any future Unwanted Places stories, they are available ad-free exclusively on our Patreon. The second Unwanted Places story is already available, and you can sign up by visiting patreon.com slash grinnermedia. In the meantime, we are hard at work at producing Season 5 of The Storage Papers, and don't forget to stay tuned after the episode for a trailer of a podcast we think you'll enjoy. My name is Mark Anderson, and you're listening to Unwanted Places. Welcome back to the final chapter in this story, Malice. In case you forgot what happened last time. Every night on a crescent moon, I would see flashes of a man and hear that awful voice stuck in its eternal scream. Somehow, I managed to simply exist for a few more years, but sometime after my 15th birthday, I left everything behind. I'd never so much as kissed a boy, but I didn't even realize until I met Meredith why that was the case. With an impish grin, she climbed out of the window, grabbed my hand, and pulled me into the rest of my life. Of course, it was only a matter of time until the town's long shadow found me. You have to go back, she said. Where are mother and father, I asked. The mark took them last night. She lifted her shirt to reveal a black, crescent-shaped mark on her stomach. I had asked the old man what would happen when he couldn't do the ritual anymore. This was the answer. I turned and headed to the outskirts of town, back to the house built on nightmares. I'll continue Lola's account now. Consuela called out after me as Meredith followed. So that's it? You're just going to leave me again? Well, good. I don't want to spend my last days with someone like you. You hear me? Don't come back here again, Lola. Just go. Despite my state of numbness, the words stung. Although we've made some amends over time, they still hurt to recall. But like I said before, pain tends to stay with you longer than it should. Whether she believed me or not, whether she forgave me or not, I had to save her life. We trudged in silence. I hadn't noticed before just how quiet it was. I couldn't help but wonder how many people had died already. There was a shadow figure outside of every home. I couldn't see them, but I could feel them. There was so much hatred. We finally reached the house. It, like the rest of the town, was exactly like I had remembered. 
I'm sure it didn't seem like it to Meredith, who hadn't seen it stayed as a child, but time had not brought any further damage to it. I stepped onto the porch, glancing back to find Meredith hadn't moved. Are you coming? I asked, then quickly added, You don't have to. In fact, you probably shouldn't. She gave me a weak smile. Sorry, my stomach was hurting for a moment, but I'll be fine. She joined me in front of the flimsy metal door. I told you I wanted to see all the things this world has to offer. You couldn't keep me away from this place if you tried. I grabbed the rope handle as I replied gravely. This isn't of this world. She placed her hand on my shoulder and whispered, Neither is your body, love. I wanted to laugh. I couldn't in the moment, but now those words never cease to make me smile. Sometimes when I feel lonely, I whisper them to myself and it's all that I need. I opened the door and stepped inside, the wood floor sighing beneath me. Meredith stepped in beside me and the door slammed itself shut. She jumped and turned around. I just listened for the wind chime. A sense of relief washed over me as I heard the unusual clanging. What now? she whispered. I bit my lip as I tried to remember everything the old man had said. There's an old leather-bound book somewhere. We have to find that first. Should we split up to find it? she asked. I hesitated. I don't really want to. Does that make me a fraidy cat? She grabbed my hand and gave me two quick squeezes. Nope. Where do we start? She asked, then crinkled her nose and added, And what is that smell? I pointed to the doorway from which the pink light had emanated. I don't know, but I think we need to start there, I said. Together, we entered it. This time, there was no light except what shone through the cracks in the outside wall. I bumped into a table and nearly knocked over a lantern. I found a lantern, I said. Great, Meredith exclaimed. Now all we need are some matches. I don't suppose you happen to have any, do you? No, I answered, remembering the fireplace. But I think I know where some might be. Stay here for a second. I quickly strode across the hallway into the room with the hot fireplace, old chairs, and awful booze. I started searching for the matches, trying to focus on the task to push back the sense of dread that had been creeping up on me ever since I set foot inside the place. That awful, deep noise was getting louder. I heard the floor groan behind me and I whirled around to find a man holding an axe and walking towards me. I screamed and he vanished as I stumbled backwards into a small table next to the empty fireplace. Lola, are you okay? Meredith called out. I doubled over to catch my breath when I noticed a small box of matches on the ground. I must have knocked them off the table. I'm okay, just... I don't know. I found matches, I said. Then get over here and use them, she yelled back. 
I don't know about you, but this place is creeping me out, and you screaming over there isn't helping. I hurried back and lit the lantern. Mon Dieu! Meredith exclaimed, and I realized I'd neglected to warn her about the preserved animal remains. Yeah, it's pretty gross, I said, but it's gotta be somewhere... there. I spotted it at the opposite end of the room and Meredith started towards it. I grabbed her arm and pointed at the mat on the floor. I don't know why, but... Don't step on that. She furrowed her eyebrows for a moment, then edged her way around it. I followed suit, meeting her at the book. I reached out and cautiously touched it, half expecting it to harm me in some way. To my relief, nothing happened. It was just a book. I carefully opened it and tried to read, but I didn't recognize most of the words. I wasn't much of a reader back then. I looked to Meredith for help and she started reading without hesitation. The words of old I was taught will not suffice. The bones are too strong. And why shouldn't they be after what we did to them? I didn't understand until they took my wife. I pray daily for forgiveness, but I fear it is too late. The only thing that remains is to protect the others from our sins. There aren't words written in this world which can pierce theirs. This must take place in the mind, and must occur in complete darkness while on the precipice of hell itself. Remember your worst memory until you can't bear it. Then remember it again. Now, in your mind, you must bury yourself before the altar of your own anguish. See the altar made up of your memory. Remove all clothing and bow down. When you look back up, you will no longer be able to see with your mind, but you will feel a warm liquid on your hands and on your stomach. Although you cannot see it, you will know instantly that it is blood. I tell you this so you will not fret. It is not your blood. It is theirs. Smear their blood onto the altar. It will reveal the words you need to say. It is different each time, but those are the words that will break through. Do not turn this page or close this book until it is complete. If the chimes cease, run. May God show his mercy. Meredith looked up at me as she finished reading. Are we... She began. I nodded, extinguished the lamp, and closed my eyes. I wasn't sure what to picture at first. Still fresh in my mind, I remembered my sister calling after me. It stung, but it wasn't the worst. The worst was the source of the pain, the nightmare that broke my childhood and left my parents to die. I pictured the man who flickered in and out of my vision as he pleased, but always made sure I knew he was there. Over time, I had captured enough of an image to be able to visualize him. He stood tall and grew taller and thinner each time he appeared. 
He was always completely nude, and his ribs showed easily through his decaying bronze skin. Every joint in his body bulged due to the lack of muscle. He had dark eyes that saw through me, radiating anger. His lips never moved. But for some reason, when I focused on him in my mind, he smiled. I started to panic. What had I allowed to enter me? I concentrated hard, trying to force him into an altar. He didn't budge. Instead, he opened his mouth and screamed. He kept screaming over and over again. I covered my ears, closed my imagined eyes, and screamed with him until I couldn't anymore. When I refocused, a rough wooden altar was in front of me with a black candle at either end and a circle made of some sort of dried, fibrous material in the center. I jumped as I heard another voice in my head and saw Meredith beside me. Well, I didn't expect this, she said without moving her mouth. I looked at the altar, then back to her, confused. Did you see him? I asked. She shook her head. I saw... something else. Our memories are different, but I think the altar is the same. I nodded and turned back to the altar. I suppose we should bear ourselves now, I said. At least this part is enjoyable, she teased. I rolled my eyes and began to remove my dress. In my peripheral vision, I saw her doing the same. Although the stakes were high and we apparently sat on the precipice of hell itself, I still couldn't resist stealing a peek. That's when my stomach dropped. I raised a shaking hand to point at her body. What, do I have the blood on me already? Meredith looked down to where my finger was pointing, then she saw it too. She had the mark. She clenched her jaw and looked up at the altar. Let's be on with it then, she said. I tried to hide it and just do as she suggested, but I could feel myself dying inside. We prostrated ourselves before the altar and closed our eyes. As expected, when we opened them, there was nothing to be seen, but blood coated my belly and hands. I reached out for the altar in front of me. As I gripped it, the red liquid revealed its shape. I started smearing blood all over, wiping up more from my stomach to add it on. Finally, the full passage revealed itself. Although my conscious mind didn't understand the words, they may have been in a different language for all I know, somehow I just knew them. I said the words aloud, doing my best to hold back my tears as they cut into me. Sorrow is my name. I do not fit and will never be understood because I am not right. It is who I am in my soul. I am sin. Blood is what I have earned 
death is what I deserve. Those who have loved me received what they were owed because I destroy all that I touch. Death will come tonight and merge the worlds in fire. Amen. The vision faded and I found a pink glow emanating from the book itself. I looked beside me at Meredith, who was just opening her eyes. She turned away for a moment, trying to wipe away tears before I saw them. But I saw them. She then faced me and smiled, the light playing softly against her smooth skin. Guilt overwhelmed me as my eyes met hers. Here was this person who had whisked me away into a life I never thought possible, and I had somehow managed to pull her down into the worst thing I could imagine. What's next? she asked me. I surveyed the room as I answered. That light means our worlds are one. I think that means we can turn the page now. She nodded. As soon as the page turned, a thunderous clap filled the room and the light vanished, seemingly extinguished by the sound itself. It took a few tries with my unsteady hands, but I struck a match and relit the lantern. Meredith once again began reading. Now that the two worlds are connected, you need to bind the ritual to yourself. In the torch room, you must form your own blood into that unholy shape the crescent moon. A flask should be filled with your blood and emptied in its entirety. When the torch is lit, you are bound to the ritual and it is bound to you. Complete this before going upstairs. She paused and looked up at me. What's a torch room? I massaged my temple before answering. The screaming in my head was getting louder and I knew it was about to get worse. My eyes fell to the shelf we had taken the book from. The flask was there and a dirty knife next to it. In my mind I remembered the old man pouring out the flask on the ground. How much blood had this task taken from him? I handed Meredith the lantern and took hold of the flask and knife. She bit her lip as she looked at the implements. We could just leave, she said. I looked at her, pain in my eyes. We both knew we couldn't. It was far too late for that. I held the knife over my hand. While working at the kitchen, I had cut my hands more times than I could count. It's amazing how, despite that fact, it was still so difficult to do it on purpose. With a deep breath, I slowly drew the knife along my palm. Meredith gasped, but I ignored her and focused on directing my oozing blood into the flask. It didn't drain as quickly as I had hoped, and I found myself studying Meredith as she watched my dripping blood intently. You're not squeamish, I said, trying to muster a smile. She didn't respond right away. It's not my first time dealing with blood, she said finally. Judging by the sound as the blood dripped inside the flask, this would take a few minutes, so I pressed her. Tell me about it. 
She met my eyes and asked, Are you sure? With my free hand, I motioned to the slow drip. We have some time. Entertain me, my love. She offered a faint smile, then looked away as visions of times past were played in her mind. France is like a different world. Some of my parents' friends talk about how strange their attitude is on many things, but it's not really strange at all. It's based on the idea of love, so pure. Being there showed me how beautiful the world can be. But just because society as a whole is accepting doesn't mean that there aren't individuals full of hate. And hate always tries to speak louder than love. I was able to explore who I was there without fear. It's how I learned what, who, I liked. She paused to swat at a fly by her head, any trace of a smile removed. But I was too bold. And hate didn't lurk far beneath the surface. I lived in my tutor's home and her cousin introduced me to the pleasures of another woman. It wasn't serious, but we still cared for each other. We went around town together and at times I couldn't keep my hands off of her. But neither of us knew there were some people in town who could not understand who we were. Instead of trying to understand, they reacted in fear. There were three of them. One grabbed me and, before I knew what was happening, held me down, forcing me to watch as they beat her. They didn't hold back. Lola, I couldn't even recognize her afterwards. Her face, so beautiful, was torn and swollen. Her clothes were soaked with her own blood. Despite my current activities, I was horrified. Did she survive? She nodded. Yes. Not easily, but she was strong. I was so angry that someone could do such a thing. When she regained consciousness, the first thing she asked was if I was okay. I couldn't believe it, and it somehow just made it worse. The fact that someone could do such a thing to a person like that. Then she told me to forgive them. I had to recognize why they did what they did, because I was warm, and I couldn't let them turn me cold. I'm so sorry, Meredith, I said. She gave a small smile. I'm sad that it happened, but she taught me something more valuable than anything my tutor did that day. For that, I will always be grateful. I shook my head in awe. I wasn't sure I'd have that kind of strength and outlook if I was in her shoes. Then I'm grateful too, because it was your warmth that led me to you, and I don't know what I'd do without you, today especially. She smiled and leaned forward to kiss me, then looked down at the flask. It's full, she said. I closed it, then found a rag to tie around my hand. Together, we walked into the torch room, passing the ringing wind chime. 
I started to pour out the flask on the ground using the stains from years of use as guidance for the shape. Isn't there supposed to be a torch, she asked, looking around. Yes, I'll finish this up, but if you go down the hall, there's a room with a stone fireplace in it. There should be a torch in there. She nodded and left me in darkness. The blood changed from a trickle to a few drops and I shook the rest out. As I set the flask aside, I heard slow footsteps followed by something being dragged through the hallway. Meredith? I called out. What is it? She called back, and my blood ran cold. Her voice came from much further away than the sound in the hall. I started to inch closer to the door when I stopped dead in my tracks and had to cover my mouth to keep from making any noise. A man was slowly staggering through the hallway, but it was no ordinary man. His gut was torn open and glistening intestines slid along the floor, leaving a trail of pale yellow fluids in their wake. He didn't notice me, and I prayed Meredith wouldn't find the torch before he disappeared. He stepped out of sight, and when I worked up the courage to peek out, he had vanished. The floorboards creaked behind me, and I nearly screamed as I turned to find Meredith standing there, lit torch in hand. I found some more matches, so... Are you okay? She stopped halfway through her sentence as she saw my face. Let's just hurry this up, I said, as I took the torch from her and clicked it into the brace on the floor. The loud hum I had heard as a child once again filled my ears. Only this time, it wasn't the only thing that happened. Suddenly, the room was filled with people lining the walls and staring at me, not a single one of them alive. Their skin was covered in varying degrees of dirt and dried blood. Some had cuts on their face, some were missing limbs with torn muscle and tissue, still exposed and gruesome. All of them, every last one, had a flap of skin torn on their stomachs, creating a crescent shape that allowed guts to spill out. I whirled around, looking from one to the other in horror until I was facing Meredith, who looked at me with concern on her face completely oblivious to her surroundings. What? What is it? She asked. Wordlessly, I grabbed her hand and ran out of the room. We paused under the wind chime as the hum turned silent. I felt like I was going to vomit. What? I started to ask as I gasped for breath between frantic heartbeats. What's the next thing in the book? She flipped it open and began to read. Now that you and the ritual are bound together, you need to ensure what happens remains in this house. The second floor is entirely open for this purpose. Withdraw the pouches from within the sack and place them on the floor every three feet along the wall. Do not open the pouches. Some things are better not to know. This was the final step I had witnessed before. After this, I had no idea what would happen.
We went upstairs and found the burlap sack on the table, just as it had been all those years ago. The smell was worse up here. There wasn't a lantern on the table this time, but we had our own light. We divided the pouches and placed them all around the room as the book instructed. I couldn't put my finger on it, but something felt off. Like an itch in the back of my brain. We met back in the center to pick up the lamp. That's when I saw them again. There were many more this time. Some held axes, some held spears. All of them stared at us. It was deathly quiet and I felt cold all over. Then I realized what was off. Meredith? I whispered. Lola? She answered. I paused. Do you hear the wind chime downstairs? She slowly shook her head. Me neither, I whispered. None of the figures surrounding us had moved, but they were all suddenly closer. I felt overwhelmingly dizzy and suddenly lost. I turned until I got my bearings and found the stairs. I once again grabbed Meredith by the wrist and pulled her to them. She did not question me as she followed. As I reached the stairs, I was suddenly jerked backwards. I looked back to find that one of them had an iron grip on Meredith's shoulder. Why can't I move, she asked me, her eyes wide with fear. I tried to pull her. Keep trying, I yelled. I can't. What is it? What do you see? Just tell me, Lola. Tears rolled freely down my face. It's them. The dead. They have you. She didn't hesitate and handed me the book. Go. Finish it. Quickly. I grabbed it and started to go back up the stairs. Lola! She yelled and I turned back to see her reaching for me. I closed the gap and our lips met in desperation, knowing it may very well be the last time, but it couldn't last for long. I spun back and ran up the uneven stairs, two at a time until I reached the final floor. As I stepped onto it, this time, I did throw up. In front of me was a mass of rotten meat in the rough shape of a human body lying on the floor. Flies buzzed freely in my ears, swirling around my head as I disturbed their free-for-all. I steeled myself and opened the book. Thankfully, the words were simpler this time. Eat the stomach and he will come. Tell him to sleep. If he doesn't, kill him. I looked around the room, searching desperately for another meaning. There was nothing except the flesh before me. I knew what I had to do. For Meredith. For Consuela. For everyone in this town forsaken by God. I set down the lantern in the book and knelt down beside the midsection of the shape. I stared at it, willing myself to move but unable to force my hands forward. A scream from downstairs snapped me into action. I closed my eyes and slid my hand into the spoiled, blackening meat on the ground. 
I felt maggots crawling around my fingers as I grabbed a chunk. Before I could think further, I shoved it into my mouth where it mixed with my own bile. I tried to chew it fast, but my mouth wouldn't cooperate. It felt like it took forever for me to swallow it. When I opened my eyes again, I was staring not at rotten flesh, but at dirty feet. I looked up slowly, my eyes traveling across the naked form before me. I locked eyes with him and knew instantly this was the man who screamed in my ear. Please, I started. He spat in my face. Who are you? He asked, the force of his anger physically pushing me backwards. I tried to stand up. You're killing Meredith, I said. I need you to rest so she can live. He stood tall. The room seemed to ripple around him. You think we rest? We have not rested for so long. We are merely silenced by your dark arts. We live in constant agony ever since you killed us. I didn't kill you, I yelled. I don't know who killed you, but I'm not anything like them. And now you're the one trying to kill me and everyone I love with your black mark. Of the two of us, you're the one with malice. I can feel it from here. Malice? You want to know what malice looks like? He stepped towards me and grabbed a flap of skin on his stomach, lifting it to reveal the same crescent-shaped wound I had seen on the others. This is what it looks like. It wasn't enough for your people to live here. They did not understand our ways and didn't want to. They had to slaughter us like they slaughtered the Earth's animals. They danced in our blood, celebrating their victory as our insides were strewn across the valley. Our children cried for mercy as their parents were murdered in front of them. I watched as everyone I loved died in the most inhuman way imaginable. He paused and inhaled deeply, closing his eyes to focus on the scent. When he opened them again, his gaze was locked onto me. Your blood killed mine. I can smell it on you. So you say we're different, and you're right. Your blood slayed mine in the fields and has silenced our suffering even in death. Mine has merely fought for a voice. We just want to be in peace. My head was swimming. This wasn't what I had been told at all. The stairs creaked behind me and I spun to find Meredith lying on her back at the top of them, struggling to breathe. Scratches covered her arms and her clothes were torn, revealing the black mark on her belly which she clutched in pain. She drew ragged breaths, working up the ability to speak. You can't do this to them, she finally said. They don't deserve it. I looked back at him, tears in my eyes. She was right. I couldn't. Please, I begged. I will let you rest. I know what it feels like to not belong in your own home. I know what it's like to be different. I know there is much evil in this world, but I beg you to stop repaying it with more evil. 
even if we don't deserve it. So I won't do the ritual, and I will destroy this town if you want. Just please, spare my sister and spare my lover. He studied me, weighing my words. I held my breath, pleading with every fiber inside me. Finally he spoke. One. My stomach dropped. One. If you let us rest and wipe out this place so nobody disturbs us again, we will spare one. I shook my head. No. I can't. I need them both. He stood firm. When you leave this place, you must look back in pain. You must never forget what your blood has done and what this place has done to you. Choose now. I sank back to the ground, turning to look at Meredith. She just looked at me and smiled, then said, I'll never forgive you if you choose me. I can't keep going without you, I told her. My body was growing numb. You can and you will, she answered. Because... A coughing fit interrupted her. She spat out a mouthful of blood, then continued. Because the world is beautiful, like you. Your sister doesn't deserve to die with that pain inside of her. Use your warmth to remove the cold. Save her, Lola. The man's voice boomed behind me. It's done. I spun back to him and screamed. I didn't choose yet. You said I can choose. But he was already gone. Meredith reached out and grabbed my hand weakly. You didn't have to say it. Thank you, Lola. Thank you for sharing the warmth with me for a while. I held her until her struggles for breath stopped. There was no dying proclamation of love, no kissing as she drew her last breath. At the end, like in the beginning, we didn't need to talk. We just existed together. I stumbled through the house drunkenly. It collapsed as soon as I stepped off the porch. The nightmares on which it was built no longer had the strength they once did. In truth, I don't even remember walking to find Consuela. I don't know what I said to her. I remember her realizing the mark was gone. I imagine the look in my eye combined with Meredith's fresh blood on my hands was enough to convince her of just enough of the truth to leave. I didn't ask for her help with the final step and I think it's something she still harbors resentment towards me for. I urged anyone still alive to go and leave everything behind. I didn't save anything from our parents. Then I burned the town to the ground. It was a long time before we spoke again. She'd already had you, as a matter of fact. I suspect that's why she was willing to talk again. Familial bonds are something unique. 
There's a number of things I've done wrong by her, so I can't really blame her for how she feels. As much as children often cause trouble through bad decisions, adults tend to make much worse ones. I bear her no ill will, and will continue to try to amend things between us until my dying breath. As a wise woman once told me, the world is too beautiful to let bad things turn you cold. California has a rich history, but not all of it was good. Unforgivable transgressions were made against the Native Americans who lived here. When we think about these things that humans have done to each other, it's easy to let the hatred create more hatred. But Lola and Meredith were right. We have to remember that this is a beautiful world and do our best to spread that warmth to each other. Before I started reading this, I mentioned that Ron likely ran into the same roadblocks I did, but I didn't say what those were. Part of spreading that warmth is to let the dead rest. For this reason, I'm not going to make any effort to find more information on this particular unwanted place. I don't want anyone to explore it. But if you do happen to go camping in some remote spot and wake up with a black crescent-shaped bruise on your stomach, know that you don't belong on that land. Leave at once. Thanks for listening. This week, enjoy The Love Talker, which premieres its first full-length episode on October 25th. I think being out here in the wilderness changes you. God, I hope so. There's evil in the world. I know that very well, but do you think it must be everywhere? I'm looking for the hostel. You should not be here. Hair of bread, mark of blood, child of brain. Until you get you gone. I met someone, little bird. Strong arms, full lips, a voice so soothing and sweet. What happens to them, to the women? I love the way he talks to me. Most go missing. Some go mad, but... You know, by the time he's finished talking to them, they want to go with him. You mean like a serial killer? You are cursed more than you know. Tear you up, feed you back to the mountain! No one stops the murders from happening, and they, they want to kill me because I know. I will not let anything hurt you. And so you die upon this mountain tonight. Mothers keep us with an ill cup. We don't say his name. Mother Mary Olettison. They call him the gentleman. Mother Bridget bring fire to us kids. Jarfly man began cannon. Mother Easter raise us from the soil again. The love talker. Mothers keep us where the devil come. Maybe coming out here will show me who I really am. 
The Love Talker is a folk horror fiction podcast launching October 25th. For more information, visit thelovetalker.com.